Welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. It is the 28th of June. We have a very special guest, a second time guest on the show today. She's Jenny Wong Medina. We're actually very excited because like, I don't know this. Look, we're going to talk a bit about what's happening in the country, but we're also going to try and give, I don't know. I don't like when people say like, here's a moment of levity amidst these tough times because I'm always just like, you know, just like, don't foreground it that way. Just hit me with the levity, you know? Like, by saying, like, I'm going to give you levity, then my expectations are high. And sometimes I'll just, you know, listen to the thing that you did or watch the thing that you did, and I'll just be like, yeah, and, you know, I still feel bad about the world. And also, I think the thing that you think was going to help me is not actually helping me because it was bad. So if that's a reaction you have, I apologize in advance, but I don't think so because we're very excited about our guest. Tammy, do you, first of all, hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jay. Hi, special guest. We Your are excited, as anymore, Jay Tammy. said, to have... Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, the fix. Okay, we're trying to adjust oh, no. Jenny's sound. Before we, get okay. went on the, before we hit record, uh, we thought that Jenny had invented this amazing podcasting hack of, for people who use wired headphones to, to <laughs> call into the podcast, where there's always this problem where the microphone hits the person's body and it makes a noise. Using a binder clip and a bit of ingenuity... <laughs> It required a crafter's hack. I had to use a crochet (laughs) hook thing. Oh, really? (laughs) So now it's cottagecore. Jenny was here in October of 2020 to talk about Korean wig stores when a piece came out in the New York Times on Korean wig store owners and Black employees. Jenny is a professor at Emory, where she specializes in Korean literature and culture. She is, one of my favorite facts about her is she's a translator of Kim Young-ha, the Korean novelist and my friend in talking about BTS and Korean dramas. And Jenny is working on a manuscript for a book about the globalization of Korean culture. So she's the perfect guest for the topic we have on hand today. Hi, Jenny. Hi, how are you? Well, Thanks for having me. globalization of Korean culture is really the overriding theme on this show. And it's one that will <laughs> now be... Now that Andy's gone. Now that it will, it's one that will be expanded <laughs> once we now have, you know, the... the, the Chinese guy is gone now, and now the Koreans are. <laughs> we're right, going well, right into the Korean domination now. We're like, yes. Bye, Andy. You're like, we are now being paid by the Korean government to to, infl- to increase Korea's soft power among. You should get some of that money. <laughs> yeah, Asian American left. <laughs> Jenny, your check is in the mail. All right. Well, look, the first, I, I do think that, like, you know, like, in, in some ways, these two things are related in a very strange way, right? Like the show we want to talk about, which is Our Blues, which is a, I don't know how many hours is it, 22 hours or something like that. It's about a 22 hour Korean drama that was on Netflix. It was a huge hit in Korea. And it is, I don't know, I can't remember a more star studded cast for a Korean drama, but maybe I'm wrong. But, you know, like it has, you know, some of the biggest actors in Korea, people that even people here in the States will be familiar with, you know, like, I don't know, like, I mean, where do we even start with this? It's if you've seen Mother, for example, right? Uh, I'm just this, right? If you've seen Parasite, for example, right? Like, the, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to describe things in the ways that like, I think a lot of Korean Americans or, or just <laughs> American people will know, you know, just, which does well, feel, if you've it, seen Terminator. Right, it feels belittling yeah, in a yeah. kind of way. <laughs> right, right. But it's like or okay, GI Joe. GI Joe, right, hilarious. right, right. And and then what happened? in the those are two topics. But first, let's just let's you know we want to give us moment so that people on the show can sort of know that we are thinking about it. But also, I don't know, Tammy, do you have thoughts? Jenny, like, do you have thoughts? Like, where where are you right now in terms of what happened with the? on Friday with the, with the Supreme Court decision, Dodd. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start. I, I went to the protests in New York City on Friday night. There were protests in Washington Square Park and Union Square, and then we kind of converged and marched uptown. It was sort of one of these protests that maybe didn't have the most strategic direction, but it was enormous, the biggest protest in the city since the summer of 2020. And I think it felt for me just good to be with people in solidarity and to feel angry together. What about how, you, Jenny? How many people were there? Oh, oh gosh, I don't know. There were that many, many thousands. It was oh, a huge turnout. Well, that's at least you know cathartic and yes, good for so. people to remain 
active. Yeah, Jenny, what about you? Even with the leak, it was still kind of a sucker punch, it felt like. You know, I, I was expecting this, and my husband is also a lawyer, and he was like, I don't understand why you're so upset when you knew this was coming. Yeah, so I, I was surprised at how emotionally it hit me, even though we kind of knew what was coming. It just seemed very shocking, particularly, I'm sorry, I have a cuckoo clock. <laughs> my parents have one of those, <laughs> we too. <laughs> yeah. We can hear it. That's yeah. really cute. <laughs> um, and it depends on what time it is. It may, I know. You know I was like, is there one anyway. o'clock? <laughs> this is the worst time. <laughs> so yeah. this, yeah. 10 o'clock. It's like, it can only get two hours. <laughs> oh, wait, right. no, it's, ele- it's, it's, like, it's 11 o'clock. It's 11. <laughs> it's the second longest. <laughs> second worst. Um, well, that's your levity, Jay, that you're looking oh, for. I know. It's true. It's true. Amazing timing. Prop, prop yes. comedy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I was surprised at how... how much it affected me and having had to exercise this option before it was a lot worse but I also teach in Georgia so I'm looking forward to well I guess I shouldn't be glib about that I'm nervous about what's going to happen there and how that's going to affect my students and so yeah I'm just kind of on tenterhooks we've already especially dealing with the Asian American students it's already been tough because of the shootings and dealing with all of that so it it's not looking good um, I would imagine the majority of students, Asian American students, are coming from not like the South. Is that right? Or not not from Georgia itself? Surprisingly, a lot of them do come from the South. I'm not sure why that is, but there's a lot of them who are from around. I think there's like regional quotas at Emory. Oh. Um, so there are a fair number of them. It's apparently very, very difficult for kids from New York City to get in because it's popular for some reason with like Upper West Side kids. Well, listen. As a segue, I was going to do this elaborate segue about, you know, about about abortion and this show, because abortion is a central theme in the show. But the reason, real reason we brought Jenny on is to talk about our blues. And the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I think that, like, politically in Korea and what it tells you about modern Korea, especially like a show that's on Netflix that Korea also knows, like the Korean market knows, will be watched by a lot of people around the world, which is true of all Korean dramas, you know, especially if you think about like Asia, right? Like, you know, in China or Vietnam or around Asia, like that's where a lot of the international audience for this is. But it was an interesting show for me to watch. So like, Jane, can you, can you just, like, you are our expert today, you know, like, can you just tell me, can you just tell us a little bit about the background of the show? Plot wise? Yeah. So the show takes place in, (laughs) on Jeju Island, which is the largest island off the south coast of Korea, of the Korean Peninsula. It's long been seen as a kind of like honeymoon destination for for Koreans, but it has also a history of the society being quite different from what we think of as patriarchal Korean society. It was a quasi-matriarchal society. You may have heard of the Henya, which are the diving women. I think that's become really emblematic of Jeju. In recent years, it's become a site for environmental activism. So the story is really about a community there and their ups and downs in it kind of. It's an anthology style show, which I can talk about a little later because I think it's related to a literary form that was very important in the 20th century. Tammy, what, what, what about you? Do you have anything to add to this description just so that the people feel grounded? We told everyone to watch this and we're just going to do some spoilers, but we're not going to do like ultimate spoilers. But this isn't really yeah. a show that's like spoilable in a lot of ways, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so. It's happy I mean, and sad. Yeah. yeah it's, sad. <laughs> it's just an emotional journey, you know? I think, yeah, I'll let Jenny expand upon her analysis of the, the sort of structure of the show, but I will say like in terms of cinematography, to me, it feels pretty different than most of the K-dramas I've watched and I've watched a fair number. I think in some moments it's actually shot quite cinematically and feels mm-hmm. a little bit like slice of life movie style. It also, I think like in its use of, I mean, it has some of the usual tropes of like K-dramas, a lot of flashbacks, a lot of cheesy music, but then there are these sort of silences where they'll just spend a lot of time with characters and the pace really slows down. So I really like that about the show. Um, I think just one other like political thing about Jeju is like, as Jenny was saying, it's kind of been a society apart from like the Korean mainland, which is actually like basically the term for it or like the land versus the water community. And right before the Korean war, there were major massacres on Jeju by Korean forces. Jeju was thought of as like a leftist stronghold and they had a lot of communal governance and stuff. And so that history isn't necessarily part of the show, but in some ways I feel like there are 
sort of glimmers of that or sort of references to the turbulent history on the island. Yeah, the show does seem to really emphasize in a very subtle way, just by basically the existence, this idea of, of a type of matriarchy on the show, right? Like the big bosses, the henyos are sort of like the, I don't know, they're sort of like the godfathers of, of this market <laughs> that the show is centered around, right? The the and they of, call them Samtun, which is normally for men right, or like right. uncle. I was a little confused right? about that. I didn't understand that at first because, yes, Samtun is for, you know, the uncle on your mother's side, right? And so, Except in Jeju, yeah, everyone is Samtun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they have the, the sort of economic backbone is is this is is the main character who i i think is the main character of the show the show sort of is like it, it feels like winesburg ohio have you read that book by sherwood anderson or, you know like her yeah. it's like a book where you have a whole bunch of different voices and like characters coming in and coming out of the sort of central square maybe it's not winesburg ohio i think it is winesburg ohio i'm thinking about but the but you know, the, the economic backbone is this is this fishmonger, right? And she is also a woman. And, like, basically all the authorities are figures in the show are women, and all the money is basically earned by women. The reason why I wanted to talk about it really is just because I think that politically it's very interesting, like not just because of the, the, the matriarchy, but because there is a storyline that happens in the middle of the show. And I think like, you know, like this is maybe my own ignorance, but I don't think that this is something that I've seen quite a bit in Korean drama, but there is a teenage pregnancy that goes on in the show, right? Like the the son of the restaurant owner in the market and the guy who sells the ice, like, right? Like their, their two kids fall in love and well, not even really in love, but they have sort of this accidental pregnancy, right? And the young daughter goes through like, I don't know how many episodes is it? It's like three, four episodes, like four hours where you watch this teenager trying to make a decision on whether or not to have an abortion, right? And so this is something that I am quite ignorant on, you know? And so this is part of the reason why we wanted you on the show, Jenny, but also I think this is something Tammy knows a lot about. Like, what is the situation with, with abortion in Korea? Well, it was recently decriminalized, right? You probably know more about the politics of this, Tammy, but my understanding in the kind of culture realm, you know, it's, well, historically it was also, it was discouraged, but utilized for gender, well, gender privilege, I guess, or mm -hmm. choosing male children rather than female. So something like the determining the biological sex of the fetus was also illegal. Although you could you could kind of skirt this if you knew the doctor or something and there would be all sorts of euphemistic ways that they would tell you whether it was the child was going to be biologically male or female. But then the decriminalization was what very recent, right? Um, mm -hmm. Last year, I want to say. The Supreme Court decision was yeah, just a couple years ago and now they're trying to figure yeah. out how to implement it. Yeah. So yeah. Tammy, do you <laughs> No, I mean, I think that's a good summary. I think what the show does is illustrate some of the chaos following mm -hmm. that decision, because a lot of it is, as we're going to see in the United States already with the chaos after Dobbs, that, you know, so much of this is a matter of implementation and local implementation and also, uh, you know, inflected by cultural norms. So one of the things in the show is about parental consent. And so, you know, under the decriminalization, theoretically, I think in, for the most part, young people aren't supposed to have to get their parents to weigh in. And yet that's what we see in the show. It's yeah. I mean, obviously, it feels incredibly relevant and painful to be watching that show right now. I'd love to talk to you guys about kind of like what we see as the political message of the decision making that the girl goes through. But it was striking to me that, you know, Korea is in its liberalization of abortion access is very much kind of in line with the way that most countries in the world have been going over the last 30 to 40 years. And the U.S. is very unique in that we're going backwards. We're one of the yeah. very few countries that's done that. I think it's like us, Russia, North Korea. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that really says something. I, it, it sort of feels like, okay, Korea is more progressive on this. And yet in the show, within the framework of the show, I wonder how you guys feel about the way that her decision making is constrained. I think it's interesting that you bring up the question of consent because and getting parental consent because the parents are trying to force the girl to have an abortion so the kind of choice is not whether they want her to keep the baby but 
of course that she should not have it, right? This kind of signaled to me too the history of adoption in Korea and the kind of very long history of that. And this question that of course she couldn't keep it because she was, you know, the top student in the school and she was supposed to go to Seolde and all this stuff. And so I I found it very interesting that this question of parental involvement is kind of the opposite of what we would... Yeah, it's turned on its head for for us coming from America. Well, initially, though, she does want to have it, the abortion. And then she finds that she needs parental consent. But then later on, it switches. Most of the people around her are saying, you should do it, right? In fact, I can't think of a single person who's saying that she shouldn't do it, like, except for her boyfriend at the time, right? Like, he's the only one. (laughs) And everybody else is like... Just go do it. Now, that sort of, to me at least, reflects. Now, I don't want to do too much analysis of like what actual Korea is like through a television show, but I did think that 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 it was a really interesting choice by the the writer of the show and the and the people who made the show to not have it just be like a you know, hey, this new thing is here, and but like let's just stick with the old values that we know will make people comfortable. I've been very emotionally torn about this because I definitely wanted her to have the abortion. And was very <laughs> upset that she doesn't have the abortion, or as far as I am in the show. And you you're, know. you're like a well, you're like a guy who watches Rocky and is like, man, I really wish that Apollo Creed had beaten Rocky. You're just like <laughs> this, this totally invented scenario. You're just like I'm rooting really for one, worked up I'm rooting it. for one outcome. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, basically, and I, you know, I think that I guess I wasn't sure. I mean, in addition to her boyfriend who is for some reason really wanting to become a dad and make her have this child this the second doctor also that she meets is very discouraging of the abortion I think like all of the steps in the medical infrastructure are like very bad in terms of the kind of resources and education that she's receiving and I don't want to like living in the world of the show I don't want to like underestimate the agency that she is exercising and yet the whole thing with listening to the fetal heartbeat and stuff like that like it just seemed like I'm not sure she had all of the information (laughs) and so I felt a lot of things about this and I do like worry (laughs) I was like thinking like her dad's like I'm worried about your future you're not going to make it how is this going to work out the one thing that that is sort of transgressive in the show is this idea that at the school they would allow her to continue attending And then there was almost like a democratic process around the teachers and the students weighing in on whether they would allow a pregnant teen to continue with her education. I have no idea how this actually works in Korea. I know like when I was growing up, if you got pregnant, you basically went to the alternative school. And, you know, and that's like in the U.S. where obviously. What's an alternative school? Can you explain what that is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how it was where you guys were. I went to a neighborhood public school and basically like obviously it's fine for pregnant teens to continue to get education and it was constitutionally required. And yet for a number of reasons, essentially pregnant teens were diverted to a school, a quote unquote alternative school that was for like troubled teens. So it was like, if you were flunking out or you were pregnant or something was going on in your life, you would go to this kind of smaller school that would have more flexible hours and do different accommodations for you. And so even there, like there was a little bit of like out of sight, out of mind treatment of these teens. So I I was interested in that in in the plot line here. Jenny, what do you think? <laughs> well, what do you think if, as long as we're inventing scenarios for this show, yeah. <laughs> um, if if they hadn't been like the the number one and number two in the school, I think yeah. Jay, that the fact that you you are honing in on this story arc is interesting because the medical establishment does seem to look at her like she's just some bad girl, right? And the right. kind of whatever dismissive nature of their responses to her has to do with you know you reap what you sow or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. this is what happens when you're... Like, there's a lot of shaming that happens, whereas the community is coming around and recognizing them as people. So if they were the kind of, I don't know, delinquent students or something, if they weren't these model students yeah. with a bright yeah. future, would the story have been as compelling? Probably not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it <laughs> um, is. I mean, in that way, it's interesting because it's like, it, that is sort of like a... Korean drama trope, right? Like the young person who's headed to to this whole day, right? Like it's like the, here's the 
you know, like this, and and it's always in like a poor village, right? Or like a, in this case, I think it would be like a middle class village, but certainly, you know, not, a lot of these people are pretty poor, right? Like they live in small apartments with with children and everything like that. This is the person who's going to like uplift everybody out of out of yes. poverty, right? Like, and so you have two of them in the show, right? You have the first guy whose name I cannot remember for the life of me, but the man who comes back and he like works in a bank, right? The, and he tries to. Con the, yeah, Hansu. He yeah. tries to Hansu. he tries to con the the fishmonger when he into into like giving him what what is ultimately like three hundred thousand dollars or something like that, so that his daughter can continue her like golf career in America, which is like that. That's what hooked me into the show, which was like this. Yeah, father. you love the golf story. Yeah, I love the golf story. <laughs> I basically like anything in Korean dramas that it that interfaces with my like as uh-huh. like a as like a person who grew up in America, like my understanding of Korean culture, which is like a lot of you know women's golf and archery and you know. So, you know, there's two of these people, right? And one of them is a total fraud, which I actually thought was an interesting thing, right? Like you have somebody working for a bank who comes home who's broke. And, you know, this is where he grew up. And, you know, he's not like sort of the typical guy who comes back who's like, you know, the guy made good. He's actually quite corrupt, right? And this is like, this is not an uncommon theme. Like that's actually also in Squid Game, right? Like in Squid Games, the guy come, the guy who went to like Solda, who's like the sort of successful guy who comes back, yeah. he's also corrupt, right? Like these, this is sort of like a common theme, which is just sort of, I think Korean dramas are starting to explore sort of the bankruptcy of, of this path that people are put on where you, where you go to, you know, you make it and then you have upper mobility and then you spend... 80 weeks, 80 to 100 hours of your life a week, like working, right, all the time. And then you're, you've made it, right? Like, and now like there are people who are sort of coming back and they haven't made it at all. And in this case, they're like trying to scam like the, you know, like clearly the hero of the show. But yeah, I I don't know, Jenny, like this is a very like circuitous way to answer your question. I I do think that like they, that that is something that's definitely, the show is definitely sort of playing around with, right? Like, and I, uh, but I don't think that they do it in a way where it's like, oh, you should care more about them because they're great students, you know? I think that it's also just like, well, you know, like even like great students will face this as well. But I agree, like, you know, if there aren't the stakes of her future, then maybe it's not as compelling. Mm -hmm. Like a thing that is in every single episode that is to me like the overriding theme of the show is around like Korean regionalism. Right. And this idea of like escaping Jeju for another place. I think this is why this show to me feels extremely universal and contemporary and is of something that's relevant, even if people don't watch it, even if people have no interest in Korean dramas, because it explores this thing about like, what does it mean to leave a small community to come back also for, but for all of us to be constrained by the way that our global economy functions now. And so in a way, like the, there's this mirroring where like the guy, Hansu's kid, he's alone in Korea. His wife and his kid are in the U S trying to become golf champions <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> That, like, going abroad, like, I, if I understood the show correctly, they're also using, like, Yuhak to talk about, like, going to Seoul for school. So there's a thing of, like, you can go abroad for school and it's Yuhak going abroad. But also, if you leave the island to go to the mainland, that's also Yuhak. So there are, like, kind of different levels of escape. And then I think we've talked on this show a little bit before about, like, diasporic resentment and disappointment of, like, the person who goes abroad in search of a better life in the oh, U.S. Yeah, or yeah. Europe I even thought about comes that, back yeah. to Korea and they're the poorest dude. Like there's a little mm-hmm. bit of that too with the Hun- with Hansu's return and other characters where it's like, oh, the woman who stayed to work 80 hours a week in the fish market is the richest. And what does that mean for my decision makings? And so I think the kids are caught up in that fantasy of like leaving for betterment. But then what does that actually mean? And so if this kid is quitting school to be a dad and a husband, like, what future are we forecasting for him within the boundaries of this show? Right. And the trip to America is so, I mean, what do you think about that, Jenny? Right. Like the, the sort of in the beginning of the show, the, like nothing good happens when the daughter goes to America to (laughs) pursue her golf career. Like the mother, like, I don't even know. I couldn't even parse what was going on with the mother, but it just seemed strange. Like (laughs) she's like sleeping with people like on the side to, raise money to like I there was like some that wasn't that like the wasn't that sort of the implication right like they they're like oh she's she's like cozying up to people with money because you can't pay for her for the golf lessons or something like that anyway something strange is going on the daughter ultimately ends up quitting golf right and says like I hate it here and he won't listen to her for a while and then he finally does you know 
And then she comes, they all come back to Korea from America. And then there's this like amazing scene in the airport where they're all happy, you know, and they're like, oh, America, that was like a, the, love actually the American scene. dream is over. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, like we've given up the the dream of, of America, you know, like and, and the West and we're all happy in the airport together and then it ends. Right. So I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Because I, I found that also to be interesting. Well, I mean, going off to the, well, going off to America to study abroad has been, you know, it's the major kind of ending for most or for a lot of Korean dramas from the 90s to the 2000s. And somewhere in the mid 2000s, they start going to Europe and things like that. So there's a bigger imagination of the world that Koreans can occupy, I guess, in order to make it right, because you can go to France or London or uh, whatever now. But this idea like that the American dream is broken, I don't like I was kind of interested in how they're seeing sp- how sports is upward mobility, whereas, you know, sports aren't typically seen as a measure of success or they weren't until, you know, in the last 10, I would say 10, 15 years, right? That this idea that, I don't, I don't know, maybe it starts with Kim Yana or something, the the ice skater who won gold medal mm-hmm. at, was it Vancouver where she won? Yeah, I think so. And yeah. then she got robbed in yeah, Japan. That right. Yeah, but this this trope of the, the family sending their kids abroad, it's usually for an education, not necessarily for something like sports training. Well, they right? took me as a, you know, some bro, you know. <laughs> That's why like, Jay likes it. Yeah, they're like, yeah. sports! <laughs> um, I had something else to say about that, but I, now it's, it's now escaped me. I'll come back to that. Well, it, does show, it, does show like a, and... it does show like a shift in, in the way that people do think about upward mobility. I agree with you, right? Like where it's like the father went off, he went to university, he was, you know, he grew up in this farm, he grew up in a very poor existence. You see his brother and his sister who are still, you know, they show toiling away. Like, I don't know what they're like, I don't know, what do they grow? They're growing like moo or something like that, right? Like it's like, or like for it non-Korean like speakers, like daikon. Daikon. They were straw farmers. Weed. <laughs> they, they mostly are like, yeah, they mostly are like piling dead weed, weeds into a wheelbarrow. <laughs> like, what do you grow on your farm? It's like, well, you know, I etched, I eat, we eat out a tough existence, like growing weeds and, and having them dry out. And then we just put them in a wheelbarrow and brought them to the market. <laughs> <laughs> oh the, you know bars spread them on the floor you know so that so when people spilled beer there it would be absorbent you know like, i don't know i don't know what they i don't know what they were growing but he goes off to he goes off to korea you know or i'm sorry he goes off to seoul and then he like gets his education and then it doesn't work out for him right and then and then his daughter is like her path to upward mobility is through golf you know and i don't know that is very interesting it seems that that it does show that the one path is not there anymore and i actually thought it made it quite relevant I think too, because... there was like there was clearly like with the mother and the daughter in the u.s there was this kind of respectability politics where they would say like they couldn't go to these kinds of golf events or whatever because she didn't have the right clothes or the right car and i don't know if that's just like throwing shade on korean american communities and this, this idea that if you do come here like it, there's still all this like classism between within the korean community right you don't drive a mercedes or your your kid doesn't yeah. go to Harvard or whatever right right and it's or you know they're not playing golf at the right club so there there is this kind of I guess critique as well of of diaspora communities even yeah that's true you don't have a Lexus RX 500 to pull up to to Korean church with (laughs) yeah I mean the whole bag bag is filled with catering But oh, also yeah, in sure. the show, there's like a new layer because when he comes back to Jeju, he meets that guy at the bank whose daughter knows the daughter in America, right? Right, right. And that guy is an owner of gas stations. And so when the when Hansu comes in, he's like, "Oh my gosh, your daughter is also playing golf, but you have no trouble. But you're like, you're a gas station owner, <laughs> and I'm a banker, and I'm supposed to be better than you." Right. Yeah. So that... it's both diasporic community and this again, the kind of like what's it called, goose dad. Yeah. The, the... Do you all know that term? Jay, do you know this term? The Kidogi families, the wild goose, wild geese families? This is where the father stays behind to work and sends the kids off to, usually the, the kids and the mother off to the U.S. So oh, there are yeah. all these kind of like quasi-single dads living in Korea who just work and send money to the States 
mostly to the states. Um, yeah, so I knew, that their some, kids can I knew some kids growing up like that. Yeah, and it was never clear to me what was happening there. But you know, um, yeah, my I never, mother, I was my mother like, would always be like, <laughs> you know, like that, basically saying that people were everyone was working very hard, you know, and then like Yoshima or something like that. And that would be your only response. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it, I guess, you know, but I don't know. Yeah. I do some families like that growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just thought it was strange because people, my parents always told me that Korean people don't get divorced. And yet there were all these families with just one parent. It's like, I don't, under, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. But, I had you know, that realization yeah. too. When I was like yeah. 18, I was like, Oh, were they just divorced and that's what they're that's how they're explaining it but like i don't know like it was yeah i don't know in north carolina i think that i didn't know that many but when we were living in boston when i was a younger child i remember there were like several families like that like what what are the conditions behind that like what what are like is it is it all economic or is it just and it's just for the kid to get an american education is that the idea yeah, yeah. so that they learn english and that if they can go to college here it's good yeah. It's less competitive than trying to go to one of the elite Sky universities. Definitely. Um, So. But I do think you guys are right that there are also some second family dynamics that can come into Mm -hmm. that sometimes. Because I definitely did see that. But I also think there was much more of it later on in my adolescence than earlier, which shows the kind of development trajectory of Koreans as well. I wonder if that's that's one of the things behind the like skyrocketing divorce rates amongst 50s and 60s year olds, 50 and 60 year olds. They're not, it's not just young people getting divorced. It's very, it's much older couples, right? Mm-hmm. Where the wife is like, I can't take this anymore, but I wonder too, if it's, I don't know what the numbers are on this, but I wonder about these families that, you know, once the kids are educated, they are back together, but they haven't lived together in a really long time. Yeah. Um, Cause I would get sick. Of I think for sure. I think it's also, I also think part of it is like the forced retire, the early forced retirement of a lot of yeah. Korean dads where they've been at their business or at their college for 80 hours a week and suddenly they're home and the wife is like, Oh my God, what are you doing here? It's like, yeah. we don't know each other, <laughs> you know? So it's a very weird thing. And those, cause people are living so long now. What do you do for those next 20 years together? Yeah. Has there been like a sort of reversal in that trend, right? Where I were like, I'm the same age as Tammy. And we, I remember growing up that like it was pretty rare to have like all the Korean people that American people I knew were just like us, where they're like, uh, you know, not, not, they're just people who have moved to the United States, right? This idea of like, kids going at like coming to the United States to go to Phillips Andover or go to like sort of exclusive private schools that Korean kids had not started happening yet. And I didn't really even notice it until I was like a teacher at one of not, not a like, you know, at a private school when I was like 23 years old. And I was like, why are all these kids from Korea here? You know? And uh, I mean, do you mean just this, the kids are coming in, not the, the family's not immigrating. Right, there's, right, right. Is this thing where like, you know, like there's like a, you know, people send their kids to to the United States, like very wealthy people I'm talking about, right? Like either for music education or just for private school education and hope that those kids go to Harvard or Stanford or whatever. Like, is that, has that, has that trend fallen off a little bit? Like, is, is there some sort of backlash to it that, that, that this show is addressing in some sort of way? Like, if maybe not even specifically, but I was just curious about that. Like, is that still, is there, is there like a, almost like a nativist type of movement, although I think that's much too strong of a word to use for it, but sort of like, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore because the part of the show that was very interesting to me was that it addressed in a very subtle way all these hate crimes, right? Like it, like the mother of the daughter who's with her in the United States keeps saying, I'm really scared here, you know, and then she says that she was mugged at some point or something like that. But I think the subtext to it is just that, like, I'm scared living here because as like an Asian person. I, I was thinking about this in the, not just in the Korean context, but in a way in the context of all of the East Asian tigers and then probably other industrialized countries as well that have really, you know, skyrocketed over the past few decades where Okay, so they have really small domestic economies and there is a market claustrophobia. So yes, it's understandable why people would leave, right? At the same time, this thing about going abroad to get educated and then coming back and having your degree really mean something, that there's so many people who've done that now that that too has been watered down. 
So I have been wondering just in my travels and reporting, and I don't have any kind of academic data on this or anything about whether there is now a critique of that too, where it's like, what is that, that the, there's like a limited utility of this degree from outside. And what is the social cost of that to my family and my community? I, I have to think that there is now a kind of critique of that. And I wonder also if the pandemic has contributed to that in the sense of all of our mobility was limited during that time. And I think there was a reevaluation of place-basedness in Korea and elsewhere. I had, I was for the first time, like last time I was staying not in Seoul for many months. And I noticed a little bit of kind of like regional pride in the places where I was living, where people were saying, oh, during the pandemic, we decided to be really rooted here instead of always going to Seoul for everything. And Mm -hmm. so I think like in a way, maybe a show like this is emerging at the right time or to me is is kind of makes sense in that context. Mm. That's how I feel about Berkeley. I'm like, I'm never leaving, you know? (laughs) I wish I was still in Berkeley. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. You know, I just like, sometimes I'll go out and I'll get a pizza, but I'm just not going to leave to do it. I I would recommend a couple of books. Like if you're interested in this education issue, Nancy Abelman, the late Nancy Abelman has written Mm -hmm. several books about this and about South Korea's, I'm just looking at her list of publications, South Korea's Education Exodus, Making Family Work, How Korean American Teens and Parents Navigate Immigrant America. You guys may remember her also. Mm-hmm. from she wrote blue dreams right, um, right. about the yeah. riots yeah. with john lee totally. uh, yeah and well strangely she was at u of i uc in uh, uci urbana no, 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 uic urbana yeah. champion UIC. yeah uic oh, okay i thought she was okay university, university of illinois, of illinois. UIUC. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah <laughs> urbana I, champion I, <laughs> yeah i don't know what the connections but there's a huge population of korean international students there like an outsized mm. kind of number that you would, you know, expect more in California or New York or something like that, or, you know, New Jersey or something. And I think this was something that she was definitely, that she wrote about quite a bit. I would say too, what did I want to, goodness, I can't keep two thoughts in my head. It's okay. It's very early, <laughs> at least for me. Um, we'll come back. <laughs> can we, can we, yeah. all right, let's, let's talk about these henyos, right? Like, because I think that's like, so a henyo is for those who don't know, who have not watched the show, it is a long tradition of women in Cheju, right? I don't know. Have you been to Cheju? I went to Cheju when I was like 10 years old. I still have very vivid memories of it. And my only vivid memory of it is literally that they had these black, vol- it's a volcanic island. And so they build these stone walls dividing everybody's property. And they're about like chin high and they're made out of black volcanic rock. It looks awesome and you see it in the show you know <laughs> like that's all i remember it's just like you know like i this is how my brain works i guess i'm just like oh wow those walls look very cool and they grew a lot of watermelon and i was like you know the contrast of the green and the black rock i think is like the only real beverage i have but they have these women who <laughs> who die for abalone and for sea mm-hmm. urchins and for like sort of like expensive type of shellfish or types of shellfish in general and, you know, like they are sort of valorized in a type of way in, in Korean culture, I think, but also very much so on this show, right? Like where, and I would say that of the people on the show, they're the funniest, right? <laughs> like they're sort of the, uh, the, the youngest of the henyas, the one who's just like sort of profane and screaming at everybody, right? Like, I, I, I don't know, the, the main enjoyment that I derive from the show is watching people scream, Korean people scream at each other, right? Like, <laughs> of like... <laughs> I would say that 60% of the show is Korean people screaming at each other, right? Did you notice that they're, Tammy, I always like to watch these shows with, with closed captioning, and they Me include too. subtitles for the for the dialect. So yeah, they'll put standard yeah. Korean next to a lot of the things. It's yeah. really cool. What, what, what do you think about this group of women, right? Like, what, like how, you know, like, it's not like groups of women working is a new thing in Korean dramas, right? Like, it's something that... Like everybody, mm-hmm. every everyone has like a market group, right? And they kind of like scoot around and they're funny and like, you know, they're all like kind of virtuous and hardworking, but they're also very meddlesome. And that's also true of all of this, right? <laughs> like, like, it's just like people are always in your business, right? Like, but what, what do you think about this group of people? I love them. And I thought that, that was, they were sort of the heart of the show. Yeah. Is it? It's the same writer as Dear My Friends, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a drama I absolutely love because it's about old people, especially old women, 
and their like erotic and social desires. But anyway, but two of the best actresses from that show are in that Henya group. Well, I guess like one of them isn't diving anymore, but the actresses are Ko Tushim and Kim Heja. Kim Heja is the one that Jay mentioned earlier from the movie Mother. But I just love their old lady energy. And, you know, I'm interested, I think the Henya woman divers thing is also a theme that's been picked up a lot in Asian American literature. Like people might have read Lisa C's book, The Island of Sea Woman. There's several novels recently that have been kind of playing with this theme. I think for these kind of obvious reasons of women's empowerment, sort of, you know, cultural nostalgia, but certainly also there is a deep tie between that history I mentioned of like the pre-Korean War massacres and this population too, in a way they're like the store of knowledge and memory from that period. So yeah, I think it's it's really cool to see them in the drama and also to have them be more than symbolic. I think they, they actually have some character development in the show, which is nice. Well, that's interesting. I, I, I get annoyed with any representation of Jeju that like really goes hard on the Henya because it's, it's too kind stereotypical. Of, it's too stereotypical. It's very <laughs> emblematic of Jeju, right? Like the yeah. tough Ajima who the Henya are like, it's a symbol of their difference from the mainland or whatever. It's not that there weren't, like, I don't know, even Pachinko starts with like a dive with the girl diving. Right? That's right. Yeah, like I've only uh, seen and, one episode, you know. so oh really? <laughs> oh, and that's the episode in which there's exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so there that as kind of an an I don't know a way of encoding female empowerment has become yeah. this really I think hackneyed trope in Korean dramas and in I don't know it's another one of these things that I shouldn't I'm not. I shouldn't be dismissive about this, or I'm not trying to be dismissive about this, but it is something about female power that is very attractive to especially diaspora Koreans. Yeah. Um, like the comfort woman issue. Totally. Something that can really, I don't know, that that's really meaty that they can talk about. There is a matriarchal society in Korea because totally. of the stereotype of how patriarchal it is. My thing, I don't know, with most of my classes, the the real, you know, the standard stereotype is that Korea is so patriarchal and blah, blah, blah. Of course, it's very patriarchal. And I, I'm recognizing this, but I mean, to go back to the SCOTUS decision, um, yes, this place is very patriarchal too. It's just expressed in very different ways, right? And so I agree I, I with you. Characters, yeah, yeah, I guess that's why I just feel like the characters, I totally agree with you generally about that. And I was kind of ready not to like them on the show. Yeah. yeah. But then I felt like there was enough there where I was kind of able to accept it. Yeah, and then I warmed to them. What you just said, I think, is sort of what we're doing and is the experience of, you know, a lot of diaspora people watching the cultural products of their parents' homeland, which is that you are trying to figure out in some ways, especially recently, right? And I think this was a lot of the sort of talk around Parasite and Squid Games and how, like, you know, well, actually Korea is very anti-capitalist. And you're like... Uh, <laughs> 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 you, you know, like some stuff comes out that that expresses a very big frustration with the West and capitalism, but like the society is extremely capitalist. You know that there is this idea that perhaps you know, and I think it sort of interfaces with this, like a sort of and angst is not even the right word because it's it seems too mild in a lot of ways. But you know, the sort of crisis that people have, which is just that, like maybe America is not a great country, and maybe the country that my parents were came from is a good country, right? And so you look for evidence for that, right? And because you don't know that much about the country yeah. itself, like you sort of latch on to things. So I think Henyo's definitely for the diaspora is, is that, right? Like it's like, oh, well, you know, like it, it's, it's like it's like Korean-Americans, Rosie the Riveter, right? But, <laughs> but, 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 much, but even cooler, right? Because it's not like, it's like, oh, well, it's not that these people were put in this situation by the war. It's more like, you know, like there is a society in Korea, it's on this beautiful tropical island and women, you know, women, are, the, women are, the, are tough, you know, and the men are all like, you know, like in sort of service to the women and they have these divers and they, they go on, you know, it's very dangerous and they do all this stuff and they do that for, I don't know, like I, I understand the appeal of it. And I will just admit it was appealing to me, you know, and now I feel kind of like a dork or something like that. But I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny told you. 
but no, it's okay. <laughs> just kidding. It's okay. <laughs> I think um, it would have been better if they had like the lazy husbands at home or something. <laughs> so, right, but that was that the interesting thing out. was that there was no men really except for the sea captain, right? Who was kind of like, yeah. you know, like he's kind of like he's kind of like an idiot, you know, like even though he's like, well, oh, he's so cute and he moves he's so return to the screen. <laughs> Oh, I know. (laughs) Right. But he is kind of like, he's silly, you know, like he like falls in love with one of the the sort of person who has come on to be like the young Henya. And then like, she like, Mm -hmm. he like immediately asked her to marry him. And he's like, kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's not like the most suave and interested guy, you know, but there are no men really who interact with who, who are, who are living in this home, right? Like there's no men that they're in, that they are all the, all the husbands are dead or all the husbands are actually basically all dead, right? Like they're all dead, yeah. right? They all died from sort of tragic ways. And and I don't know. I thought that that depiction was kind of cool, you know, but maybe, you know, I don't know. I'm sort of sucker for that type of thing, you know. Maybe it's my own frustration. <laughs> well, the only working in men in the community are the ones with no wives, right? So. right I know. That right. Was, that's interesting, too. Is there a married yeah. couple the in single the dads. show? Oh, there's only one married couple, and it's the one where the where the wife is abusing the husband, right? The bank guy. That's the only. Yeah. That's the only oh. actual married. Abusing. No, he. I mean, well, the, you know. Kim Ubin's. Yeah. I, I can't remember his. What's his character's name? I can't remember. He has a, a set of parents. Tongjin. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah the Tongjin, captain, the sea captain. Yeah, yeah. they're like yeah. the only entire family because he's got a brother, he's got a sibling, and right. parents. That's right. right. Whereas everybody else is. Yeah, there's not a kind of orphan-y single parent energy in the. Right. Yeah. Every single parent their spouse either left them or is dead actually mm-hmm. only, and 90 percent seem to be dead right like they're all dead. <laughs> it's like it's a very interesting setup for a show right like and in a lot of ways it works it makes a show work better i think like just as like a as like from a show writing perspective because it's just like hey we don't have to deal with any of these like you know family issues we can just have these people be these own their own universe kind of walking around and that's what it felt like okay let's talk about one more thing about this show and then we'll go which is like did you like the show (laughs) jenny i want want to know i know that tammy liked it because i texted her but jenny did you like this show Sorry, I was muting because my cuckoo was happening. Oh, it's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I know. 12. 12 o'clock. I should have told you guys, we should meet at 1 and 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you uh, like this show? Yeah, I liked the show. I really like Korean anthology shows or anthologies in general. And this was kind of, I alluded to this at the beginning yeah. of the show that it's uh, it reminds me a lot of this form in Korean prose literature called the Yeonjak Sosol, which is the linked novel, right? Yes. Some famous, mm. probably the most famous example of this is The Dwarf by Jo Sehi, which is a great read. But it, it's, it was this form that was especially popular in the 70s and 80s during the democratization movement in defining the minjung, right? The people. Um, and so it's showing this community from all these different levels and their stories are intertwined, right? And I really liked the way that they did this, both like mm. with the setup, this kind of nostalgic setup with the records, you know, the the album covers right. that show who it's going to focus on this time. But it's kind of it's referencing. I don't know. It, it has this very nostalgic feel that the, the record thing was used for our beloved summer as well. Right. Yeah. Um, I have I heard like that, that hi-fi is really, really popular in Korea right now. Like it's, it's true. the new like fancy camera to buy going back to records and having like a great hi-fi system Uh, Um, oh yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah. but they do a lot of this with the like tammy was saying with the cinematography one thing to always focus on in or i think one thing i like to focus on in korean dramas is the way that they do the final the closing credits for the final episode and the closing credits in general because yes there's a lot of product placement but the kinds of things that they decide to emphasize and the and mm. the way that they present it cinematically is very interesting like the kind of photography they use so like in this show the closing credits always had scenes it has stills from that episode and then like um then the what is it called like scenes from the next episode mm-hmm. but the, the scenes that have already happened have this kind of flair on them. You know, it yeah. has like, right? So it looks kind of like bad photography from the, from the 80s and 90s. But, you know, this is this kind of manufactured nostalgia for something that you've just watched and the next thing that's coming. So it kind of hooks you in emotionally, but it also shows how everybody is intertwined. Yeah. And that form, I think, it's kind of like the Dubliners, I would, if, if you want. like Right, a, right. Or uh, like a Faulkner, right? Like it's kind of like yeah. uh, As I Lay Dying 
or I guess, I mean, that's one family, but you know, like this sort of shift in perspectives and the chapter titles, which are always the name of the person, right? Right. But then um, it also like clearly is defining a community. And that's what's really important about the, the linked novel. I've seen recently mm-hmm. that Hangang has gone back to this form as well. Hangang of the vegetarian. So I think... Sorry, I have a lot to say. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Okay. No, no, this is, this is, this is you why mean we in had her you most on. most recent yeah. book? Or in... Yeah, there, I think the most recent one. Um, the I was Jeju just looking. book? She just read a Jeju novel oh, that I read. It's in, in Korean. It's not translated yet. I think, yeah, it's sort of is like this, although it feels a little bit more coherent, I think, or smaller, yeah. I guess. Did you, um, I mean, well, why do you think this is happening? Like, why do you think that there is this move both, you know, obviously for the show, which was like a huge budget show that was meant to be a big show and was a big show, right? And then this this move in literature to sort of, you know, make a, make this, this sort of linked narrative. Because I, I agree with you. That's what this is, right? Like, as, like, there's so many characters, they drop in and then they kind of pop in for four seconds and you see them, like, <laughs> in the bleachers of, like, a soccer game and they're smiling. And you're like, oh, yeah, there you are, Why do you think that this is all, why, why do you think this is a trend right now? Or, like, you know, like, why is this something that's happening? Is there some I think you can see that too in the kind of architecture that they are. I mean, it goes into every single aspect of kind of denying the the Koreanness of Seoul in some sort of way. Like to go back to what Tammy was saying about regionalism, there's been a rash of these shows where people who were supposed to have made it, and this goes back to what you were saying too, Jay, that people who were supposed to have made it along these trajectories that were the stand you know that have been the story for most of South Korea's modern development right that you study hard you go off to Seoul and you make it you don't come back to the countryside but a lot of people are finding that they are leaving or like recently what Hebang my liberation notes that people in our discord really like yeah, that is also like looking at kind of valorizing the outskirts of Seoul. Totally. The, right? Like Gyeonggi-do, which Gyeonggi-do is the, the province that surrounds Seoul. And now in this time when you have all these like super cities, there is this kind of return to appreciating the actual communities of those regions, of the provinces, right? I liked it that the big city for Jeju was Mokpo. They barely go up yeah. to Seoul except for when they're visiting, what's her name? her her life and mm-hmm. we didn't even talk Tana's about disability family. and yeah, yeah we didn't talk about right. disability and it's like the true. mental there's a lot of other uh, health issues there's a, that was very beautiful with the mental health stuff how they how yeah. they expressed that cinematically with you know the rain and like the the lights going out and this kind of like visualization of her actual mental state was great so yeah i really liked it All right there's a character guess, yeah. Down syndrome in the show for the people yeah. who haven't watched it, and also and a deaf character, and a deaf character, right? And a deaf right. character, There's right? A lot of that does seem like something that's show. being grappled with more in these shows now. Like uh, it's it's okay to not be okay, you know. The brother, that's the same is... writer, actually, the oh, same okay. screenwriter. The no, wait, bro- not this one. I was thinking yeah. of that's okay. It's love, the one with the... yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's that's okay about to... mental health as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's okay to not be okay. Has a brother character that is basically just Dustin Hoffman and Rain Man, right? right? Like, Rain Man. Um, yeah, have you seen that one, Tammy? No, oh, it's beautifully made. Okay, and very only pretty. Four episodes in, and like some of the stuff that they put in that, I was just like, wow, like it's gorgeous. Yeah. And the but that actors wasn't popular in Korea, are Jay. both very beautiful. That's interesting. <laughs> just like these okay. are the two best looking people I've ever seen in my life. But it wasn't popular in Korea, really. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> it was um, more popular outside of Korea than in. Oh, yeah. Oh. Do you? Mm-hmm. Is there any theories on why? I don't know. It had like the biggest actor, right? Right, um, like, right, the, right. The best looking actor. Right. I mean, Tammy, you may want to fight me on that one. But I, I do love Kim Woo-bin. My daughter said she he, he wasn't that hot. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? He's an anime character brought to life. <laughs> he really is. He really is. It's like kind of like, it's like That's one crazy. of the people where I'm just like, it's a, like I can't stop staring at his face because it's so like perfect. And then at the same time, there's something repellent about it because, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just like, I don't know. You Too know. perfect. Yeah, Too perfect. yeah. We're just like, listen. Like you know, uncanny? Like, yeah, you uncanny, need like exactly. something going on, you know, like something needs to be slightly off, right? And then it's like more relatable for me, you know, but otherwise <laughs> you do, you just look like you're made in a, you know, like a 3D printed or something like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> one last thing about the regionalism in the early in the mid 2000s like the 2010s there was this big effort to bring the rest of the countryside to, to Seoul back to Seoul and then to show Seoulites like what was great about these different areas and a lot of it had to do with the produce they created or you know the mm. kind of the commodities from each of those places but at the same time they there was this kind of like boom of film festivals and these kind of like local festivals, like the Butterfly Festival, the Mud Festival, all these things that were trying to draw people towards other parts of the country. And while that was kind of, I don't know, that was kind of sensationalist in a certain way, but now there's this different trajectory of that where it has become like an interesting place, I guess. They have all these shows where celebrities go and like live in the in the provinces and like have to make their own food and things like that. So I think there is this kind of return to recognizing that Korea is bigger than Seoul, (laughs) that there is something out there for both an international audience and a local audience to, you know, to find outside of this like hyper-capitalist like cityscape, right? That is Seoul. Jane, can you pull your, the microphone You're There's a little scratching, I think of the binary. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, that that I or lean just lean forward back. like that. That would be great. Yeah, Tammy, like here's <laughs> Shut a, up straight, Here's a question. Yeah, exactly. Here's a question for. Well, it's a question for both of you. Did you did you think like you know, and then Tammy, especially because you're somebody who has studied and reported on Korean feminism, right? And I think that you know this show, I think would it should be discussed as a show that is feminist, right? Like not to put it in sort of this hackneyed type of way, but certainly a show that it involves a matriarchy or what is perceived as a matriarchy, a show that deals with abortion and a show that really is about where like economic mobility is not through men working hard. It's through like women doing jobs that, you know, like sort of like that for Unhi, right? Like the, 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 the fishmonger on the show, like, you know, like I, I think that, you know, this is like one of the great acting jobs that I've seen because <laughs> Jay loves her. <laughs> she just keeps the whole show together and, it really is 90% of the show she's just screaming at people you know and (laughs) it's so entertaining you know it's just like like I always like it's it's just so yelling at everybody that's the only way that she can express compassion which you know is kind of I don't know for a lot of us is like you know very relatable in a way right and she's just like walking around screaming (laughs) but she is the boss and she is supposed to be respected in the show right like you're supposed to respect the fact that she is able to you know, bid on, uh, you know, bid on fish in the morning and then sell it at a higher price and to just chop heads off of fish all day long. Like that's her life. Right. And she provides for her entire family. She has this like deadbeat brother who keeps like finding expensive apartments to buy, you know, and he's like, well, hey, can you, can you buy me this apartment? She just screams at him. Right. But then she always ultimately just gives in and does it. Right. Like, like what, what sort of reflection I think does this show show like on, you know, like we clearly have like a election recently, a presidential election in a way that is like a clear referendum on a lot of things, right? Or at least is it reflective of a lot of way that people feel. Where do you think this show fits in on it? Or how did you respond mm-hmm. to it in, in the question of Korean feminism? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always attentive to the fact that obviously most dramas are consumed primarily by women. And so there is a catering to, I think, a female audience in in certain respects. Obviously now it's global on Netflix and that might change it a little bit, but I think we can primarily still say that's true. Would I call this a feminist show? It's interesting. I I was thinking a lot about Unhee's character and in some ways, yes, she's admirable and the whole community is structured around women, et cetera. But there's also this martyrdom that continues as a theme, I think, and, you know, in the development of these characters, it's this whole thing about the generation just before ours, where the women had to sacrifice their educations and their futures to put all of their, you know, brothers and cousins and all of the males in the family through school. And aren't they so great? And they're serving their country and their community. And we see Unhi kind of sacrificing herself again and again. So Mm -hmm. is that a feminist narrative? I don't know. Like in some ways, yes, they are the economic engine of the community, but what is the personal cost of that? I think I would come out as saying, I'm not sure. Jenny, what do you think? I was definitely on the factory. Like the the sisters sacrificing themselves for their brothers is is very strong undercurrent in this story. Yeah. Or mothers sacrificing themselves, you know, like Han's mother does. Yeah. Or uh, whatever they think is best for their family, or just to mm-hmm. survive. He did not like that her sexuality becomes kind of funny. Like it's played yeah. for laughs, right? Unhi's in the same character. way that Unhi's character, yeah. yeah. Like 
where Yanuk's sexuality is like she's she's the one that's with Kim Upin, right? She is the the sexy one, the beautiful one, but she's thought to be you know unmarriageable, <laughs> or she she kind of takes herself out of out out of the equation mm-hmm. of being a respectable woman because mm-hmm. not only because she's had other partners before, but because she doesn't think that with a disabled sister she can be part of like a normal family, right? dead parents and disabled sister nobody's gonna want her right Right. um and so she turns to her sexuality this is i I thought yeah at first i thought she was going to be more of a liberated character in that she was like i just like to do what i like to do and then they give her this backstory where she's like kind of she shames she's she's shaming herself or she has taken on this route because she thinks that she is abject basically and all she has is her so that part i didn't love or as didn't think it was very feminine but I guess the bright spot would be the the young girl's choice in like making her own decisions um and fighting for like her decision right that would be the yeah. most feminist thing which is right. kind of ironic right yeah. but it's always <laughs> like that, that she chose motherhood yeah because she's yeah. choosing a procreative anyway but yeah I get what you're saying I was very emotionally immersed in this show I found myself getting very emotional watching it I think the the sort of levers that they were pulling were very effective you know like when the when the ice seller is like screaming at the Sunday guy and he's like you know he's like this thing you said to me in the past when you said, you know, I forget what the actual slur was, right? And he was like, I was back then. And you, like, you shouldn't have done that, right? Like, I don't know. I found that all to be very, like, emotionally satisfying. Like, every every episode was just like, like, you know, like this emotional roller coaster for me. It was good. Anyway, <laughs> cool. Okay, I think we've talked enough about this. Jay, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Is there Jenny. anything, thanks is there any last me. thing you want to say? This is like, this was great, you know? I love talking to Jenny about all this stuff. I know. I know. <laughs> so smart. Thanks. I know. It's like um, a, the context that, you know, I mm-hmm. should be providing that I, I can't because I have no actual realms of expertise except for, <laughs> except for gambling. I love that my expertise is watching TV. That's like the best part of my job. <laughs> what do you and do? I watch shops, TV all day. And yeah. K-pop. Yeah. Right. My Wait, kids no, are we're like, not talking about you K-pop. You never work. You just sit at home watching TV. And it's like, you're like, well, this is my I job. made that my job. <laughs> so, yeah. so, kids, you can watch TV. For a job. Um, oh, I guess man, I would say the so last good. thing to kind of like that I really loved was there was a line when when what's her name? Mira leaves the like hotshot lady from the hot lady from Seoul when she's leaving and and he's all upset and Inkwon the the son's the boy's father. Sunday guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he says, yeah, he says, isn't she, isn't it so great when she comes through? It's like a refreshing wind, blah, blah, blah. And when he gets upset and she, he says, yeah, but she's just a train passing through and you're the final stop. Oh, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's that like, that was a great line. Yeah. And, mm. he, and he's like, you're the backbone of our, and then she like gets mad, you know, because she's, yeah. he, 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 well, in that way, I think Tammy, it is, and, and, Jenny, it is somebody wrestling with the martyrdom trope, right? Yeah. Like it's somebody, yeah. she's just like, why do I have to do it? You know, like why, yeah. why am I the one that has to be stuck taking care of all you like incompetent totally. idiots? Like, <laughs> but they all recognize it. That's that's right. the thing that I think I thought was great. Like they do recognize that she's the one that keeps them all together rather yeah. than just kind of like taking her for granted. So assumed. Yeah. Yeah. True. Well, they, so maybe that's uh, the happy part. <laughs> we're, uh, yeah, I don't know. We should do this again. I feel like once every four months or something, we should all just, you know, we should have you back on and we should talk about a Korean drama that we've watched. (laughs) I've been watching a lot of them recently. And I don't know, I just find them much more interesting to talk about for than American television shows, which I don't really know how to talk about, except like, I liked it or I didn't like it. But, you know, although we just talked about David Zybit last week. But <laughs> that's true. That's true. But that one was particularly rich. I don't know. Like this one, at least it feels more exciting to me. And I just kind of like how there's a lot of plot. And in this one, you know, there's not as much plot, but, you know, it's still a, I found it. I watched like six hours of it at night. I finished in like three days. She was, was obsessed. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I was just burning through it. I was like, I would look up and I'd be like three in the morning and I'd be like, Did oh you my God. have to up the That's speed? Because so I watched it like 1.25 because they just talk so slow. 
Oh my gosh, no. you guys, Jenny, you're not supposed to be like Jay. <laughs> Jenny, <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm show, the only but... one who watches shit at the normal speed on the show. <laughs> I normally do, but this was like it was the pacing was so slow that even when I had it at 1.25, and sometimes at 1.5, it still looked like it was at normal speed. Oh really? I oh I didn't God. have that experience with it. It's really weird. I just That's like that. I kind of just like. <laughs> I, yeah, I have this thing with like a, a lot of American shows where I just like in the first episode I identify the plot lines I don't care about, and then when they the person shows up on the screen I just fast forward through the entire scene with the person, and then I, <laughs> <laughs> I just keep going. It's so bad. <laughs> um, well, I actually learned that from you, Jay. I didn't know that I could watch it at faster speed. Oh yeah, I always yeah, watch yeah, Netflix yeah. on the oh, TV. So yeah, I was yeah. like, what? I can yeah. get through this faster. Listen, when, when you watch almost everything on your phone, like you real, you learn all these hacks. You know, you're just like, oh my god, I don't need to do this. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the show, Jenny. Thank you for being my on. My pleasure. Again. We do Thanks. this every fun. we do this every week. If you'd like to help the show out, you can. Subscribe at goodbye.substack.com for $5. You will get access to our Discord server where I think a whole bunch of people in the Korean drama, we have a Korean drama room, and they all watch the show. And I think once the episode is released, we're just going to unleash the, I was like, don't talk about it until we've really, and then there's just going to be a torrent of takes, I think, about the show. (laughs) The Korean drama room is really one of the most, I don't know, I I like it. Like, I think that people watch a lot and there's a high level of expertise and people certainly are talking about things that I have no clue about. So that's one of the types of things. And we have other types of rooms there too. I don't know. We have, I think like 800 people or something in there. And so it's a vibrant community. And we had a meetup in real life yesterday. That was very nice. Yeah. Yeah. In New York, the Andy's goodbye. So that's just for five bucks a month. You can do that. And if you'd like to contact us, it's goodbye.substack. No, wait, that's not right. It's time to say goodbye pod at gmail.com. And on Twitter, it's at TTSG pod. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week.